The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on Sunday. This is Sunday. about the police officers, officers who every single day that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. What's up, giddy up, guys? It's Failure to Stop Friday, which means it's time for a breakdown. We've had a very long week. I'll bring you five shows a week here to the Failure to Stop channel, the number one show where police meets society and culture. We're Monday through Saturday, it seems, this uh these days, Drew. Uh, today we're breaking down the Tampa Rampage, which is a case very close to uh, Mr. Andrew Baxter, who just came out with his new name. Uh, Drew Breezy came out with his government name as he's got the blue check mark on his Instagram. By the way, guys, the failure to stop Instagram is just on the verge of crossing 10,000. Uh, we could really use your help because we've been stuck at 9,180 since January. Um, it's really weird that we went from about 100 followers a week and then it just stopped at 9,100. 180 fluctuates between 170 and 180, but we'd really like to get that 10,000 mark because a lot of doors open up on Instagram. So if you got the time in your day, head over to Failure to Stop on Instagram. If you want to support the show, it's one way to do it. You could also become a part of the Patreon or the paid YouTube, bringing lots of content out. We're doing a seven day free trial on Patreon, um, mainly because Mr. Baxter, Drew Breezy, the easy breezy, beautiful Drew Breezy, did an incredible interview with Sergeant Mattingly that we really want everyone to see and we just felt like damn um that sucks that that one was for the patreon members because that was an intense interview with sorry manley for those who don't know sorry manley was the one who shot and killed brianna taylor and was also shot by brianna taylor's boyfriend um and went through all of the uh aftermath of that so um his interview with Sergeant Mattingly was incredible. And we decided that we were going to open up Patreon for seven days so that you guys can hear that for free. And if you like it enough and you like that extra content that we bring you on Patreon, maybe you'll sign up for it if you would like. Uh, but uh, we, are, we are gaining followers on Patreon and our paid YouTube channel every day. And we couldn't thank you enough. I think we just crossed 7,000 on YouTube. Um, so thank you guys so much for everything that you do. We've got a couple of people in the live chats today, uh, a bunch of you in the live chats, actually. And so a huge shout out to all those folks, Carly, Fulcanator, David J, Hydraman Blue, and the list goes on and on. Nijkin from Sweden. Thank you, sir. Um, you guys can uh, support us by doing that. But really, the main way to support us is leaving us a five-star rating review on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, wherever you download your favorite podcast, and sharing us with a friend. That really helps. Enough with that. Today's show is brought to you with ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack. And I believe Manscaped is this week, baby. And I love Manscaped. I uh, used the cop crop preserver uh yesterday i was at the skate parks all day and it was a little bit warm up in virginia beach so the crop preserver um for my bowels worked really really well uh so huge shout out to manscape.com drew how are you been buddy oh i've been great man i've been uh busy working on content for the channel you mentioned the uh the interview i did with john mattingly uh he's uh i, I just want to get out uh what what happened did eric pass away uh, I just want to get I, I want to get it out in the open that I know that John Mattingly was on uh, failure to stop previously. He was not on failure to stop in this context, though, the, the conversations that we had. This was this is the show literally called the rest of the story. So uh, I wanted to kind of get an update of where he was. And, and man, um, I'm telling you, that's a humble man of integrity. And uh, I, I have I have a ton of respect for that guy, especially given what he's been through. I mean, I know he's, he's, he's been made America's villain. I mean, for God's sakes, uh, Oprah, um, you know, put, uh, Brianna Taylor on the cover and, and vilified those guys. And, uh, John Mattingly was part of the cadre that was trying to serve the warrant there and was actually almost killed. If you remember this, right. So I wanted to make sure that we got his uh, message back out. It, the, the, the show itself is essentially about the truth and how, uh, telling half truths is really affecting the safety of our citizens. It's affecting our safety as cops. It's, it's affecting everybody and it's just bullshit. And I wanted to have that conversation with John and I wanted you to hear some things straight from his mouth. And, uh, we have made it available on video for our YouTube members. Uh, that's uh, available only to the YouTube members until Sunday. I'm, I think I'm going to make it public on YouTube after that, but it's also going to be part of the seven day free trial for Patreon. So please go to failure to stop slash Patreon. Uh, I'm sorry, 
Patreon slash failure to stop. And uh, if you feel so inclined, throw a couple bucks in the hat per month, and you're going to get content like that. There's also something very exciting that we're about to launch, Eric. Are you still with me? Uh, you're on mute or something. So what he I'm going to say. Oh, I'm here. back, baby. I'm so sorry. Um, it was 64 degrees here in North Carolina. And it was absolutely beautiful. And I'm in the brand new studio, as you know, Drew. And so I got cocky and I opened up all the doors because it's just a beautiful spring day and I want to hear the birds. My neighbor hasn't mowed their lawn. Uh, this is the first time they mowed their lawn all spring. <laughs> and uh, it just happened to be right now during the show. So I so that everybody's not listening to somebody mow the yard. A little calendar reminder went off in your neighbor's phone at 10.50 a.m., mow the lawn uh, for Fridays at 11. Uh, so get used to that all summer, as a matter of fact, probably. Uh, the other thing that we're going to launch uh, in the spirit of the jujitsu tapes. Now, listen, if, if you don't know what the jujitsu tapes are, and that's not as easy to say as I'm making it sound, uh, Eric kind of turned me on to these things. They're great. They're, they're people that call in and complain about jujitsu or they complain about other things. And it, it, it turns into a reel on Instagram. This is something for our Instagram. Essentially, we're probably going to put them as uh, we're going to put them as um, what's the thing shorts on uh, YouTube as well. Uh, but what it is, is it, it's just kind of like, Hey, call up and get it off your chest. You could do it anonymously. Right. And it, it, if only we had a phone number or a voicemail as a mechanism, Oh wait, we, oh, do. we do. So, so if you call 848-COM-911, that's 848-266-6911. Nice. You can call and say specifically, this is for comm center confessional and leave your confession. Now, listen, this is for dispatchers who have it out for cops. This is for cops who are pissed off that they have to respond to barking dog calls. This is for firefighters who are mad because they're made to stage 25 minutes until everything is completely safe. Any, anyone, this is for civilians who want to hate say, state troopers. This is for the civilians that just want to state troopers that want to get whatever that state trooper did to you on that traffic stop off of your chest. <laughs> this is for everyone. This is come on, come all. And we want to share your complaints with the world. Now, the, the, here, here are a couple, uh, advisories for this. Uh, nothing kills a joke more than length. Okay, so if you're right. if you're gonna run with some kind of bizarre, you know, uh, you think you got a thing going, you're gonna try to do your four minutes of stand up. Probably not gonna make it. Try to keep it under thirty seconds. Just get say what you got to say, get it out, tell the world, and we'll share it for you. We will be your megaphone. Right. So, It'll Paul, sound something like this. This uh, this message is for Com Center confessionals. Um, I would just like to say, what is with state troopers and their stupid fucking haircuts? What's the point of always having to wear? Uh, if you're gonna wear a hat, why do they make them have those stupid fucking haircuts that they get like every week? And how much of our tax dollars pay for those stupid fucking haircuts? I hate them. That's all, guys. Thank you. Love what you yeah. do. We definitely don't want to. Uh, uh, bound in the uh, race, racism or sexism, uh, you know, we don't want to wade in those waters. So just keep it clean-ish. Uh, uh, you know what we can share. We just definitely can't violate pilot, uh, policy when we try to put these things out. And we want it to be funny, but we most importantly want you to be able to get this off of your chest. Let us be your megaphone, 848-COM-911. If you're calling to leave a voicemail for Com Center, which we still enjoy and we still, uh, you know, feature every single episode, John uh, religiously goes through those things. Uh, please say that. Hey, I'm calling to leave a message for Com Center. We would love for you to call us live on Com Center, to be quite honest. And we're on Thursday nights at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern. And that show so. is absolutely crushing. It's getting so funny. The B story that you guys told two weeks ago was one of the funniest stories. I was laughing so hard. My kids in the car were laughing. That show has come such a long way from, from when it began. This whole show is coming a long way, man. And, and all these things are great. And it's all happening. It's all because of you. We appreciate it. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into today's Friday breakdown. This is the Tampa rampage. Now, um, uh, just to, to bring this in, Drew, was a you know this is very close to drew's heart um he lived through this uh he was very close to this and so um you know it's going to be a, a pretty intense episode as he goes through that and um and so we're just all ears and we're ready to hear it and uh, unless you have anything else to add to us we have uh, underpaid producer and 
dead leg in the uh, production side of things today, given all the pictures and the videos. And uh, thank you to those guys supporting the show. And uh, and after that, it's all you, Drew. Well, thank you. It is close to me, uh, Eric, and uh, I, I want to say that I am—I don't have court today, as it's, it was stated in the chat. I am wearing this uh, in tribute to the two de homicide detectives that were uh, senselessly murdered in this case. Uh, they are— um, Ricky Childers and Randy Bell were coming. Uh, we just actually passed a uh, an anniversary. If somebody could do the quick math for me, this uh, all of this went down on April. I'm sorry, on May 19th of 1998. So that would be what the 25 year uh, mm -hmm. anniversary of all this happening. Now let me let me set the scene of where I was in May of 1998. Um, I was, and by the way, two of the greatest homicide detectives that the Tampa police has ever seen. I didn't work for the Tampa police department. So you'll know I worked in the Tampa area. I worked at the Hillsborough Sheriff's office, but Hillsborough County Sheriff's office. Hillsborough I County was a, Sheriff's office is like probably one of the top two, top three, um, departments in the entire state of Florida. I don't, I don't want to undercut yourself there, Drew, but I know a lot about Hillsborough County. Their SWAT team is absolutely top tier. They are, um, they are the FBI HRT's team that they use um, through the whole state of Florida. You guys have Hillsborough County has boat teams. You guys have helicopter teams. You have, it's just an incredible sheriff's department. And for those of you who don't know, when you work for a, a department, the size of Tampa PD, Hillsborough PD, Orlando, um, even like Raleigh or St. Louis or Detroit, um, becoming a homicide detective is top tier. Like a lot of people think the chief is the top tier of a police department. Right. That's not true. The top right. tier of any police department, major police department is going to be the homicide detectives. Those are the ones that you can't really politic your way into homicide detective. The only way to make homicide detective is by putting together very solid cases from the time that you're a street cop. Um, and, and some people do go from street cop to homicide detective. It's rare, but that means that they, they put together good cases as street cop, which got them into some kind of other investigation, uh, investigative position in the police department. And then they did solid work there. And, and really like they save the homicide detectives literally for the top to your guys um, yes. in the department. So, and there might only be like four or five, um, you know, Hillsborough County. I think you guys have like 2,500 um, people that work for Hillsborough County. Yeah, sure, some, somewhere around there. I I'd say it's safer to say we're up to about 3250 somewhere in that ballpark. Right. And I would say like, and in the homicide detective division, you probably have less than 10. I, I don't know about that. Uh, as of recently, there's probably 10 solid homicide detectives. There also is a, a cold case element to it. There's also right. Uh, right. And then they're going to have like their staff, right? They're going to have like their, yeah. their, their staff to go with them. But as far as like the guys that are like, the, the the detectives, the the lead detectives, the ones that are yeah. testifying in court, um, you know. So you're talking. I mean, we'll, we'll say fifteen uh, for argument's yeah. sake, but you're talking fifteen out of thirty five hundred. Uh, you know. Yeah, and, and sure. Listen. So it's a big deal when. So when you say two homicide detectives with a, with in Tampa PD, I mean, you're saying like these men are top of their class. They're not putting guys in homicide that have problems and issues. I mean, you've well, got to really be a solid human being. I'd say they probably had, they probably had lower numbers, meaning, uh, lower numbers, uh, uh population wise or detectives assigned to homicide in 1998, both at Hillsborough sure. and at Tampa. So even by your standard, what you just said, that would be 20% of a of Hillsborough squad. If you lose two detectives, uh, I, I would venture to say that that was like 35% of the homicide squad that losing two detectives like that. Now think of the, the, not just losing two detectives, Think of having to investigate the homicides of two of your homicide detectives. Just think of the grit and the will that those guys, that men and women, by the way. Uh, Julie Masucci was a detective. She's you know top tier homicide detective. She was one of them. Uh, Henry Duran, who you would see uh, always on the sidelines uh, of NFL games next to uh, Chucky, uh, what's his name, uh, John Gruden. Uh, that guy, he was a Tampa mm -hmm. police homicide detective. A guy named Greg Stout, who I had the honor of working with uh, when I made it to intelligence. You, you're, th you're, you're 
a hundred thousand percent right about the homicide detectives. When I got into the business, I always wanted to be a homicide detective. I took a different route or I was given a different route. Actually, I never made it there. And it is the major league. So even if you're drafted, let's call it into the criminal investigations division, you're, you're going to have to do some time in double A and triple A, you know, investigating uh, juvenile sex crimes or, or, or robberies or, or something before you can prove your, your, uh, your, metal to be a homicide detective, which is without a doubt the major leagues. And these two guys are described by their squad mates um, as uh, quick as wit, highly intelligent, dedicated. I, I can tell you too, by the way, uh, one was 44 and the other was 46 when they were, when they were murdered. Uh, Ricky was 46 years old. He was a 21 year veteran at that point. And 44 year old, uh, Randy Bell was murdered. He was an 18 year veteran. His daughter is now a detective in South Florida. And that's um, important so to note because you're talking about these are career police officers that became homicide detectives in their 21 years. So if you think you're joining the police department and you're going to become a homicide detective in six years, five years, you're crazy, right? Like yeah. these guys became homicide detectives at their 21st year. Now, when you go and look at other crimes that come out on the interwebs or you see on the news and they always try to, they always try to make a fool of the homicide detectives or a lot of these true crime podcasts like to make, make a fool of these guys or try to put a lot of blame. I mean, yeah. you're, you're, you're trying to make guys who again, have just the world of experience and intelligence and trying to make them a fool, or maybe the job's just not that easy. There are so many eyes to cross so many T's to dot <laughs> that uh, I, I, that's why I couldn't become a, a homicide detective. It's just, I'm simply not smart enough, but uh, you know, so when you, when you hear these things, really guys, I mean, I've always told my wife when she reads these true crime books and she asked me about these homicide detectives, I said, listen, I'm always going to probably side with a homicide detective because that's just not a position that's given to anybody unless you're in one of these small podunk towns. But really, you know, if you're still a homicide not. detective, yeah, I mean, you're still the top of your game there. You know, it's still the major leagues. It's just like, you might be the scumbag Mets versus being somebody awesome. Like, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe, um, you know, or, or but maybe, uh, you're in major, maybe you're in major league pickleball versus major league baseball. <laughs> right. So I, you know, I just wanted to paint that picture. When you, when you hear about these guys, these men, these gentlemen that he's about to talk about, just know that everything, about them, you know, as far as the job is concerned, had to be on point. Um, their their complaints had to be on. You know, they're not going to put a homicide detective that's got a whole bunch of complaints. Whether he's a good cop with a bunch of complaints or not, they can't have it, right? Because these guys are in the spotlight. These guys are going to make the news. These guys have got. To, these guys are going to go to court. They're going to be tried by the most vicious of lawyers. So they can't have any skeletons in their closet. They, you know, so, you know, really, these guys. I can't emphasize it enough. Uh, top tier some of the greatest souls on the planet too by the way there, there's one that that worked uh, where i worked I, he still works there he does a different job now but um he was not involved in a certain homicide investigation he was a homicide detective at the time though and um this uh this man murdered his wife right in front of his kid um and he ended up adopting the kid like wow. almost sighted, wow. like took the kid in and, and ended up adopting him. He's just like salt of the earth, wonderful human being, um, and is giving this kid a loving home. And by the way, at the sentencing, the defendant literally, I didn't think it was at the sentencing. I think it was during the, the trial, the defendant who killed his wife actually thanked the detective for giving his son basically a second shot. Oh. So you're talking about salt of the earth people. This is the, you know, that's something separate. That's, that's a whole nother story. We can, we can, we might even be able to get him on at some point, but um, so Ricky and Randy were just re highly regarded people. Now, in, 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 here, let me tell you how I tie into this. In 1998, I was a brand new narcotics detective. I, I, I drove a, uh, a mercury cougar. It was light blue oh. in color because it was the only one that nobody else wanted. And um, I was uh, brand new. Like, I think I started in, narcotics in, uh, I, I started narcotics that year, but I was in, um, it was like February when I started, this is May. So, uh, I'm laying in bed one morning. Um, the, the, the life of a narc is, uh, sometimes kind of rough. Like you have late nights and, uh, you, you, you know, the mornings are a little bit rough sometimes. Uh, it was a different day for me. Uh, so I'm laying in bed and I turn the news on and I see this story come on there that this uh, very small boy, I think he was like two or three years old, was shot 
in the face. And the parents uh, just picked him up and uh, it's, uh, I'm going to show you uh, where they lived versus where, so they lived in this house in an area called Seminole Heights in Tampa. And now Seminole Heights is very popular now. It wasn't then, it was kind of a, you know, skid row kind Mm -hmm. of place. Uh, So I don't know if you can see this in the center of the screen. You know, this looks like a very treesy lot. There's a, there's a house in the back of this house. So they lived in a garage apartment. They lived on the second floor of a garage apartment and the young boy was shot and they scooped him up and, up here at the top is where they lived and they just either ran down or drove down to a Tampa fire station and dumped this kid and said, Oh my God, there's been a, a, an incredible accident. This, my, my boy has been killed with this rifle or my boy has been shot to help him revive wow. him. So the boy's name is Joey Bennett. He is the, uh, the, the, the son of the, the woman that lives in the house and her name is Bernice Bowen. Uh, so obviously the Tampa police detectives arrive at the firehouse and they start talking to the the couple. They're both very distraught. Obviously, um, you know, the, the kid is dead. And, um, so they start talking to this guy and, um, they, they start talking to the, what, what is reported as the father. And he goes by the name of Joey Bennett at the time. So they're trying to figure out what happened. And he's saying it was a mistake. It was an accident. The kid somehow got a hold of his rifle. They were getting ready to go swimming somewhere. And uh, they were all getting ready. And the, the kid got a hold of his rifle and was dragging it along the carpet. And the thing went off and blew his face off, essentially. Uh, at some point, he kind of slipped up and changed his story a little bit and said that he was holding the gun when it went off, he being the suspect. So they decided to take him back to the residence. Again, it's just, you know, a few city blocks up the road. They took him back to the residence and they began, they wanted to do a walkthrough. The homicide detectives wanted to do a walkthrough. So Ricky and Randy were the lead detectives and they're, they're working on this case and they're, they're trying to get him um, to tell them what happened and just to see if it, it adds up. When it looked like it was getting ready to go south for this defendant, he took off running. All right, so this is an important part of the story because that's what I saw on the news. I saw that they were questioning this guy and live on the news as they're doing this, the dude takes off running. And so now what he says is they caught up to him very uh, a short time later and they put handcuffs on him. And what he's saying is that he's just so distraught that he's freaking out and he's panicked and they calm him down and they convince him to go to the Tampa police headquarters for some further discussion. So this is, um, let me see if I can find the picture, but at, at any rate, what they do is they get, they load him up in the car and uh, they, um, they're about to take him down. Uh, this is the guy, by the way, his, his name is Hank Earl Carr. This is, uh, this is his early life. Like he was a troubled, uh, very troubled guy. So, what they ended up doing is uh, they ended up catching with him and they put the handcuffs on him. That right there is Randy Bell. And, uh, and that's, that's the suspect who is at this point still identified as Joey Bennett, the father of Joseph Bennett, or is as Joseph Bennett, who is the father of Joey Bennett, the kid that, that, that was killed. And um, they, they convinced him, Hey, let's, let's go down to, to our office and, and have this conversation. So they lead him out of the, the house. He's got his handcuffs uh, in front, which is a common tactic uh, back then, especially amongst homicide detectives. You're trying to keep this guy at ease. You're trying to show a sign of good faith and say, look, just behave. We don't want to make a show out of this. Let, let's just get in the car and let's go. Uh, a lot of changes came from this, I can tell you. And I'm not faulting those detectives. Uh, God rest their souls. It's just kind of the way things were done. And now we know why. Uh, they're not necessarily done that way anymore. So they put him in the back seat, which is another kind of red flag. So there's uh, they're in a detective car. They're, they're in an unmarked car. They're not in a... Uh, they're not in a... Um, uh, a uh, marked patrol car. I want to say it was a Taurus, maybe uh, a Lumina, you know, back then. And they're driving this guy to 
Tampa Police Headquarters. They're uh, near the interstate. They get to Flora, Nebraska. Flora, Nebraska mm-hmm. is a street in Tampa that connects Florida Avenue with Nebraska Avenue. Those two are north and south pipelines that um, kind of are parentheses around the main interstate here, which is Interstate 275. Unbeknownst to the detectives, Hank Girl Carr um, is a badass. He had been in prison uh, for a long time, uh, or, or in and out of prison for a long time, we'll say. He, he never really served a whole bunch of time. Back when he was 18 years old, it started, he was a homeless kid, and he was nothing but trouble. He'd fight his way out of situations like a street survivor kind of guy. He was sentenced to burglary, theft, and forgery, and he was in prison at age 18. He got a two-year sentence. He only served a year and a half of that. While he was in there for the year and a half, he did the following. He locked a guard in a prison freezer. He put a towel over an inmate's head and beat the shit out of him. He smashed an inmate's face just for changing the channel. He threw stew in a kitchen worker's face. And um, he was uh, let go after 18 months for his time served. And he literally told the probation officers, yeah, I, I won't be following your rules. We'll, we'll meet again, but it's not, it's not going to be under your terms. It'll be under mine. Whoa. So he's he's just a badass. This is this is the guy that you that look a Florida man. Dope, he's a Florida man, and when you do dope deals, like there are there are levels of holy shit, right? And you know sometimes you're just like dealing with a guy, and it's a dope deal and it's heroin, and it's kind of like mm, holy shit. Then there are guys that you just get around, and you're like when you're undercover, especially that your your hackles on the back of your neck stand up straight, and you are like. Holy shit. Like this guy is the real deal. So you can see him. He was, he he was a very bad dude. He's just look at him. I mean, just squirmy. And this is when he was sentenced. Um, you know, so, um, he, uh, this is what he looked like the day of, and you can see Ricky Childers in the background. There's kind of a, you know, he's like a soulless. You can see there's nothing behind those eyes. So while he's on the way to um, the jail, uh, I'm sorry, while he's on the way to the office, he's still presumed to be Joseph Bennett, the father of Joey Bennett. Uh, they don't know anything about him, so they don't know he has several warrants or that he has, a, he has an intense criminal history. He, uh, while he's in the backseat, takes the handcuff key that's out, that's around his neck on a necklace. No way. And undoes his handcuffs. And they they don't see it. They they never saw they I don't oh. think that they saw it coming. So he took a handcuff key that he, you know, in today's terms, bought off of Amazon. They were pretty widely available back then. Uh one one positive thing, and you know, not to jump too far ahead, but they they made it a, a misdemeanor um uh, code here in Hillsborough County to be in possession of a handcuff key uh, during the, the course of an arrest. So he takes his handcuffs off. He grabs the gun that's on the, the shoulder or the, you know, the shoulder holster. He grabs the gun of the detective that's driving, takes it out of the holster, shoots the passenger who is one of the two detectives, and then subsequently shoots the driver. Kills them both instantly. So they had stopped at that point. I think when the, I I think they were at a red light, they had stopped. He jumps out of the car and instead of stealing their car, he pops the trunk and he grabs his rifle out of the back. The same rifle that Joey Bennett was killed with. Uh, There's a picture of it somewhere. There it is. It's like a, it's like a Russian SKS. So he, he, pulls this badass rifle out of the trunk. He has now killed two cops and he sees a white pickup truck in the light behind and he turns around and he carjacks that truck. Now that's right about the time I'm headed to work. I I, I didn't come across this truck. I came over the inner, I was coming down the interstate as they were blocking off the exit at Florida, Nebraska. I, when I finally got to my office in Ebor, I was saying, man, there is something huge going on because there were helicopters everywhere. There were just patrol cars everywhere, but they were blocking off the exit of Florida, Nebraska, and you know, the traffic was backed up. Something big is going on. Sure, and, and I didn't associate it. I didn't put two and two together that, you know, I figured they had already captured this guy, so I didn't put two and two together. 
Well, special report comes on the news, come to find out. They they started reporting immediately that this guy just carjacked somebody in a red truck after killing two homicide detectives. And he's on the run, uh, presumably to Ohio to see his girlfriend or ex-wife or whatever it was to see his kids. And um, so there's sightings and descriptions all over the place of, of where this guy is. And the investigation is now starting with the two homicide detectives that have been murdered. And they're starting to press for more information from um, Bernice Bowen, who is the girlfriend and the mother of the child that was killed. And she says, look, guys, uh, I, I don't know at what point she came off with this, but she was already at the police headquarters from what I understand. And she finally admits, okay, his name is not Joseph Bennett. It's Hank Earl Carr. You're going to want to run that name. man." And when they run it, they see what a badass he was. I believe he had warrants. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know that at one point they fled together uh, because he had warrants in Georgia. I don't, I don't know if the warrants were active or not. They all, I mean, have you ever met like a, you ever met like a, like a pussy named Hank Earl? No, no. no and, and that's a badass my... fucking name, dude. Like Hank Earl, like, you know, that's some white trash red. Now like you, Hank Earl, like grew up in a fucking trailer. You know what I'm saying? If your name's Hank Earl, 90% chance you grew up in the trailer parks. This and, and this was his girlfriend. This was Bernice Bowen. She look at her, she's holding a gun here, but she worked at the Kmart on Nebraska. I think it was the Kmart on Nebraska. There's a Kmart that's probably about three miles north of their house or two miles north of their house. She was also a dancer at the Starlight Lounge on Nebraska Avenue. Mm -hmm. So she was holding down two jobs. And that's why she apparently she you know, Hank was abusing her and everybody was trying to convince her to get out of this relationship, but she didn't want to get out. She couldn't be convinced because she like, was if, so if you're dating a Hank Earl, like you know, yeah. you, like that's part of the deal. Like you know, you're gonna get abused. Well, this but like, is, that's the this chance you take. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you, yes. she knew. She knew when she's like, you're like, hey, what's your name? He's like Hank Earl, and you're like, oh, this is gonna be some domestic violence. I her, do. Her attorney I want said that. as much. I, I'll be, I'll be real honest. Like, not even joking. Her attorney said as much. Like, she was, she was destined to be abused. She, right. she, she needed either to be controlled or whatever. She just had the that. I guess kind of upbringing or I, I don't know where he, you know, I've got a cousin like that. She just can't, she cannot stop dating felons. Like if there's a tattoo on their yeah. face, she's hooking up with them. And like, if they but, don't beat her, she leaves them. Now th this, this does go with my theory that I s spoke about on, uh, on night shift the other night, he, he's got three names. So obviously he's a murderer for sure. So that or a NASCAR driver. He could be a NASCAR driver. So he is uh, uh, speeding up the interstate, speaking of NASCAR, and we're, we're listening to all of this unfold in my office as narcotics detectives. It's, it's shocking. Like, it's, it, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, um, I, and I don't know how else to put it. Uh, I will never give a, a law enforcement death um I can't give it enough reverence. Like it's just, it's, it's very gut wrenching and it's, it's like, it brings me down to get to, to get two at once is like not only unheard of police in the line of duty deaths just did not occur that often in 1998. It just, it, it did across the country, but it didn't in Tampa. I mean, you know, we, we did have that one in 1992 where the guy uh, went down in the helicopter and, um, you know, from the Tampa police department and it, it just, it wasn't like that. It, it just like, now it just seems like, you know, <laughs> it, it just seems so flippant. Like, okay, yeah, we had 10 this month and we had 12 last month and 79 felonious assaults. And it just seems like it's part Texas of the wall. You know, when Texas lost six, you know, right. I, you know, for me from the military, um, you know, going to war at 19 years old, like I had pretty much accepted that my friends were going to die and, and things like that. And when I joined the military, when I joined the police department, you know, they spent so much time in the Academy over the wall of the fallen, you know, and, and the respects that you have to pay yes. and, and all the, the things. And I always kind of thought in the back of my mind, like, why is it different? Like, well, I mean, it's, it's different. It's not that the military doesn't pay respect to the dead, whatever, but like in the police department, it's just different. There's a different level of respect. And I always wondered why. And then I kind of figured it out 
one I experienced, um, law enforcement officers dying in, 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 uh, in the line of duty, um, or get even getting shot in the line of duty, which I had a few friends in the police department that were shot in the line of duty and, um, and, and one who, who died in the line of duty. And I think it's because in the police department, you not only do you work together, but your families are together, right? We have the family barbecues, with the police department, you don't so much have that in the military as much. Right. Um, right. You know, the squads in a police squad is a lot tighter than a military squad because you're together for years, um, for years. And there's, and, and promotions are just different. So it's, it, there's not like a competitive aspect to your squad as far as like the military goes. And you're with each other all the time and you know their families and you and you know their stories and you know more about them and i think that's why it hits a little bit harder when you lose one it's just like the whole community mourns right because like the librarian is friends with this these cops where the school is friends with this guy where these 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 cops have touched so many lives and that's something you don't see from the military in such a small community that when they die it really like you see the effects the ripple effects from every single person uh, could it be, Eric, that casualties of war are, are um, not that they should be common, but casualties of war is almost a given? Like in any war, yeah, but both like sides even give up more than that, like if Drew dies from Tampa, Florida, like you're in the military, and I'm from, I'm let's say I'm from from Kentucky, you know what I mean? Yeah. So when when we lose Drew on the squad, that's sad, right? That's sad. But it's even more sad in Florida where he's from. But we're in the military, not going to ever see that. And then and, and in the mil- and then right. in Florida, you're only going to affect maybe like your parents and a couple of friends. But when you're a police officer, you're surrounded, you're inundated by all the lives that this guy has touched. And you're yeah. hearing the lamentations and the woes from all the people that he's yeah. touched. So you're just kind of immersed in the emotion of the whole thing because – and of course, they're cops too, right? So they, they've put themselves in a position to affect more people than, say, somebody in the military. Yeah, I would say, you know, the casualties of war are a little bit more, um, like, expected or common, and most police officers that are killed in the line of duty are literally murdered. So right. it's, it's it's a different, like, it's not like they were driving by an IED and somebody got lucky. It's it's generally because they were murdered. Or if it's a traffic-related death, there, there's always going to be an element, and I know that you experienced this, it's, uh, there's always going to be an element, element of, God, that could be me. That, that could have been yeah. me easily. And that's, I, I went through that when I spoke to Mattingly. Like, he was a narcotics, uh, he was running a street crime squad or a narcotics squad. They were serving a warrant. It wasn't even his squad that did the warrant. They were just serving it on behalf of another, you know, like they needed extra bodies. So he took his team and he went to go serve this warrant and, and he took a bullet to the leg and got hit in the femoral artery. That could be me. I mean, I'm I'm going to be one of the first through the door at this uh, search warrant. I mean, you know, I'm going to lead by example. And um, so, you know, it's just, there's always going to be a sense of, you know, man, this could be me. This, this really, yeah. I, I don't know. I, uh, that's the sense I get anyway. So when you but, heard that the two detectives had been murdered, like what was, cause I mean, obviously you guys are in the same County, so you're going yeah. to be working this case in some capacity or another, whether yeah, it's my bo- on patrol or my, my butt. Bo- well, actually when I was on patrol, I had dealings with one of these two guys. I don't know which one it was. I was told I was, I had dealings with one of these two guys because he showed up as a homicide detective to a scene in the city of Tampa where I discovered a body. Um, it's a long story. It's, it's not as sexy as it sounds, but, uh, so, you know, it's, it's just weird, like how your lives kind of intermingle. And then he was from a smaller area of, um, of Hillsborough County called plant city. And that's where my boss at the time in narcotics, my Lieutenant, he, he was, he like, was kind of like the pseudo mayor of plant city. So, uh, you know, everybody knows everybody there. And so he, my, my, my Lieutenant had not only been a homicide detective in Hillsborough and worked with Ricky and Randy frequently, but he was also pretty close apparently with one of them or both of them. And, um, so then, you know, so you could probably hear a pin drop, but we were also glued to the television set because they were covering this whole thing live. So the, the chase goes on. He's headed up North, up North on 75. There's sightings. I can remember very specifically, uh, there was, uh, I, I believe it was an FHP trooper. I'm not hundred percent sure, but he was heading North on 75. There was a guy on the overpass that, that fired at the truck um, mm. as it was passing through. 
but then more tragedy struck because a trooper ended up finding him on 75. Like, I, I think he was probably set up waiting for him to come by. And sure enough, he came by and he got behind him and uh, he let everybody know, hey, and this trooper is by the name, is, uh, it, by the way, is James Brad Crooks. Uh, well, let me make sure I'm saying his name right. I, I'm not sure if it's Crook or Crooks, but he was a uh, he was a trooper, a, a Florida Highway Patrol trooper. Oh, wow. He gets behind the truck. He starts pursuing it. He puts on his lights. Obviously, the truck starts to pull over. We're thinking, okay, good victory. Mm-hmm. Hank Earl Carr just steps out of the truck and and wipes him out. God, just boom, 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 kills. Instant. Have to die with that haircut. It's even well. God rest his soul. That so it's terrible. So the guy gets that and he's got that that like scar or um not a scar on the that SK. And um yeah. what, is that 762? I don't know. It's it, I it's would think it is. Bullet. I mean yeah. yeah, I mean it's it, it it's obviously going to pierce whatever. And probably in 98 not carrying AR15s. Yeah, there's footage that I have that we can look at later where you see like one guy with an AR. You know what I mean? Like everybody right. else has got their handguns out. And that's you know, the, that's the part-time SWAT guy. You probably. Know, that, you yeah. know, that's and like then, detective part-time or detective full-time, but also is qualified to be SWAT. Um, or, and everyone's looking so at the him. The trooper like, didn't even have a chance. You know? No, he never had a chance. Um, he, he, I think, was lulled into the thought that this guy's pulling over and, like, what else is he going to do? You can you can attempt to do your felony stop when somebody else gets there, or the guy can just jump out and start killing you. I mean, what, what are you going to do? So um, Hank Earl Carr continues this deadly rampage. He goes up to, uh, I, I believe it was State Road 52 in Pasco yes, County. Three fucking cops. Three cops and a, and a boy and a, and a young, well, boy. yeah. And a child, you know, um, yeah, and I can't wait to way, get into that. Cause I'd like to know how the child, like what? Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not his kid. He purported it to be his kid, but it, it's not his right. kid. So, uh, it's Bernice's son. So he, he goes to a shell station just off the interstate <laughs> and he walks in there and essentially holds the clerk hostage. Okay. He's not threatening to her, but he's like, look, I, I got to do what I got to do here. And he, he's holed up in this, um, in this place, in this, uh, um, shell station. So they decide that he's not coming out alive at some point. They make this decision. Uh, they have multi multi uh, agencies have representation from SWAT there. The Tampa Police Department has their bomb squad there, uh, bomb disposal team or whatever they were at the time. Um, and what he realized, what he came to realize, is that it's done. I mean, I'm in here and I'm just, you know, trying to. <laughs> so when the news got a hold of the fact that. Um, he was in the shell station. They go to the yellow pages and they look up the phone number for this, for this play, for the, for the place. And they call it and the clerk answers. And she's like, I can't talk right now. And he's like, no, 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 this is Don Richards from 970 WFLA news. Um, and, and let me talk to the, the guy. And she's like, what? It's for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Basically. So oh what we hear God. on live TV is a conversation between a talk radio host and Hank Earl Carr. And he is saying, uh, he says, look, this was an accident. It's got, it got out of hand. I know I'm going to fry for the cops. I already know that. So he already knows he's going to die. So they're starting to build their, their kind of their um, reasoning of how they're going to fetch this guy out of the building. And, uh, they go on and have, you know, a couple minutes worth of conversation. And that became another hot topic in, in the police slash media world of the bounds of ethics, because, um, he's, well, let me read you something here. Uh, 
the interviews by Mr. Carr by the St. Petersburg Times and a radio station were criticized by police and journalism experts everywhere. To call the gunman at the gas station at the height of the crisis is totally unjustifiable, unjustifiable and unethical, said Bob Steele, the director of media ethics at Pointer Institute, a journalism research center that owns the St. Petersburg Times. A police spokesman, Steve Cole, who whose son, by the way, was a detective that worked on my squad. He's a funny dude, Pat. Uh, Steve Cole said that during the interview the uh, by the WFLA radio station, the police could not get through to the gunman, and they were forced to call the radio station and ask it to get off the phone. So he's he's broadcasting live. They gave him an avenue to broadcast live, and and he he gave essentially his last will and testament. He said, "Right, I, which I, is exactly what you don't want, right? Like that's yeah. why we don't let uh, parents, family talk to somebody in a hostage situation." Because that gives them the opportunity to give last will and testament, and then they usually either kill everybody in the room and themselves, which is the real threat. Like, I don't think we really give a fuck if they kill themselves. We just yeah. don't want them to kill who's with them and themselves, because that can happen. They're like, all right, well, here's my last will and testament. I'll see you guys later. Bam, you're dead. Bam, I'm dead. Um, and so this media outlet guy who has no idea what the fuck he's doing in a hostage yeah, negotiation situation— yeah, like a veteran news guy. But, you know, what? there's the silver lining in, in this is he did convince the guy to he did convince, uh, convince Hank Carr to let the hostage go. I think she was pregnant. And oh, he's good. like, look, you don't want to make this any worse. Why? I think the right thing to do is just to let her go. So she did. She came walking out with her hands up and they they surrounded her and they, you know, they got oh, her to safety. So um, we'll show we'll show what happened to the the uh, the situation next. We'll, we'll show what happened to how they made entries. <laughs> I, I do believe he died. In the entry, there are conflicting reports all over the, the uh, you know, whether you read um, I don't know what the official cause of death of Hank Carr is. I don't care. I'm, I'm, you know, I say I don't celebrate death, but this one I'm going to make an exception for. Um, he either killed himself or was killed by the concussion of the of the Tampa bomb squad, who was uh, deploying flashbangs for SWAT to make entry. <laughs> we'll, we'll take a look at that in a second. Um, so he's dead. There's that. Good. In the days ensuing, they were keeping a very close eye on Bernice Bowen because they were waiting for the state to, to determine if she was going to be charged or not. Uh, my squad, a narcotic squad, and, and my partner and I, my partner who ended up being a Hillsborough homicide detective, as a matter of fact, uh, and in that partnership, by the way, I did all the work. He was significantly older. Um, and he nearly killed me more than once uh, in several ways. Uh, but love him to death. Um, we were on a surveillance. We, we were sent to set up at a uh, funeral home on Bush Boulevard. Um, and I'll, I'll just, I'll never forget the the setting. I mean, I'm not really laughing at it, but we, we our instructions were, hey, just make sure that this vehicle shows up at this time. It's probably going to be Bernice Bowen. She's going to go inspect the body of, of Joey, little Joey. Uh, we just want to make sure she's she is where she says she is, because at any minute they could come down with charges. Well, it was raining. You know, and, and and understandably, Tampa police had run out of surveillance vehicles because their their whole department was wiped out with the murder of two of their finest. Right. And, um, so there we sat uh, in the rain, waiting <laughs> across from this funeral home for Bernice Bowen to show up. Not that we were going to arrest her or anything, just to make sure that she was there. If we had to arrest her, we would have. And I literally had like a hundred and two degree temperature. Like I was so sick, but he was driving, so I couldn't leave. It's not that I would leave him anyway, and uh, I, I I still swear to this day because th this that that same guy, you know, just side note, retired uh, from our agency with all of his sick time. He never took an hour of sick. Wow, never took an hour sick. You know why? Because he would come to work fucking sick all the time, and he got me sick, just like uh, you did. Eric. That guy, the exact I'm that same guy. thing. Yeah, yeah, baby. Why don't you try to have stronger genes, Drew, and then you won't get straight. I have a better <laughs> immune system. I have Pussy. strong genes. I get, uh, get all my genes at uh, Banana Republic. They're very strong. So, I bet you do, too. So like, You look like a Banana Republic kind of guy. You're welcome. So uh, Squash. <laughs> so there I sat very sick and that's that's uh that was my interaction with uh with, with the investigation. So 
We didn't have to do anything. We didn't have to arrest. I think I had to beg him to take me to my car. I think it's funny that they don't, um, they, they have to question to charge this bitch. Like I feel, and Uh, and I've always questioned that in my whole life. It's like, okay, so she helps, she helps this dude remove her son's body from the the location, helps him cover up. They were going to get help. I mean, you know, you can't, you're not going to make the argument there. They were going to get help. I didn't, I didn't realize that. I thought they were trying to get him away from the crime scene so that they could, well, that story. might be part of it, but uh, they they re- they literally, you know, in a panic, brought him to the fire station. So you're bringing him to medical. But that looks like a pretty far movement. Like when you could, yeah, just it was call probably about ten blocks. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, oh no, there's no phone in that house. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. There, uh, that that explains that. And, so then, you know, but she gets the fake names and everything. Why doesn't that come into play? It does. Like that's obstruction. So, this is exactly what you're talking about with the homicide detectives of dotting the I's and crossing the T's. You're at the behest of the prosecutor because yeah. you're not going to present a half-assed case on probable cause. You're not supposed to put a number on probable cause. I get that. But probable cause basically is you have 51% belief that they did it sure. and 49% belief. You know, the other 49% is left to either more investigation or it doesn't matter because you have they are more likely to have caused the or committed the crime than not. But when it comes to serious charges like homicide, when it comes to serious charges like this with her, because they were going to charge her with an accessory to, you know, two counts of accessory to first degree murder and uh, one count of accessory to the manslaughter. Um, this is another one of those cases where it's speed is not your friend. You're going to have to do uh, some slow some slow uh, thinking and you're going to have to make sure that all your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. And there is a provision in the state of Florida. I don't know if it was in in effect then, but if your child is shot by a gun in your house, um, the child shoots themselves with a gun in your house, you can't be criminally charged within 48 hours. You have to wait 48 hours for them to either grieve or do so. There's like, I'm pretty sure it's 48 hours. It might even be 72. Uh, so, uh, I, I don't know that it was that quick, but th- that is certainly a factor that they were definitely just, gotcha. l- let's, let's not just throw her in jail and then build a case. Let's build a case and then throw her in jail. That way, when the, the stopwatch starts ticking, then, you know, they'll, they, they will have appropriately, um, built their case. So she was ended she ended up uh, I, I think that there was maybe some child neglect charges uh there was so how, did, uh, how did the child end up getting shot did they determine like what the real story of that was I, I he said that it was an accident but he said that he was holding the gun okay so this is her I think at her trial if I'm not mistaken because you could tell by the way she's dressed you know what I mean Right. Like they always right. they always dress them like wonderfully at the trial. Right. And like, here's I'm her not a whore. I'm not a stripper. <laughs> this is this is her at either at the sentencing, which was a couple, you know, maybe a year later or so. Damn, dude, um, that prison that prison food gets everybody fat. What's up with does. that? Yeah, it, I mean, like everywhere they goes, well, she's not on stripper fat. food anymore. What is she? <laughs> she's not eating yeah. stripper food and uh, Kmart food anymore. No so. more heroin. No more H. So uh, the white horse. So she's uh, now, you know, she served, I think it was 16 and a half or 18 and a half years in prison. This was the scene outside of the convenience store. Um, I'll show you in a minute. Here are our friends, Ricky and Randy. That's Ricky on the left, Randy on the right. Um, Here is... just prior to the entry or no, actually this is just after the flashbangs, the quote flashbangs. Uh, I do believe you can see in the middle of the screen there, uh, a Miller light banner kind of sticking out, which should give you an indication that the windows were blasted out. This one dude's um, wearing fucking shorts, dude, no helmets. And he's got shorts on with knee pads. Well, that's incredible. That's the most SWAT thing I've ever seen in my whole life. That is, that is SWAT. That is the most is SWAT thing SWAT. I've ever seen in my life. He's like, dude, I was at the gym. This dude killed two cops. I got I my gym shorts on. Throw me some knee pads, homie, and a gas mask. I got this. He's got a pistol. Yeah. He doesn't even have a long rifle. Right. Well, I don't need – they're like, here, take this <laughs> take this pistol. And he's like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it is a very SWAT thing. So this this was uh, into downtown uh, Tampa. Um uh, this was the funeral procession. Now, uh, they had it at the Tampa Convention Center. I can tell you, I'm not trying to virtue signal to anybody here. I was at uh, a 
long weekend with my then wife and one of my partner partners in narcotics. Uh, we were at the beach in St. Pete Beach for Memorial Day weekend, you know, debauchery and boats and uh, sun and everything else. And this was held, I think, on Memorial Day, if not on Sunday. At any rate, it was during the period which we were going to be over there. And I said, uh, I brought with me uh, a shirt and tie to go to this thing. And he's like, a uh, suit and tie. And, and he's like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you know, you're at the beach, just relax. And I'm like, not doing it. I'm, I'm not going to let those guys die without me being there to send them off. Like, mm. I'm not doing it. So there was a huge uh, memorial service at the Tampa Convention Center. And um, I, I was I was proud to be in attendance. I mean, I, mean, yeah. I, I hated the fact that I had to be, but uh, I don't give a shit about the beach. Uh, I don't right. care about the sun. And, and you know, sh- sure, I was a uh, sad sack for the rest of the – I was wiped out, man. You, you, once once the kids – or, you know, once the the, uh, the the people start eulogizing and once the kids start talking and, then you know, I think the mayor got up and, you know, like – yeah, it just it rips your heart out. What do you? It is, man. I, I, I worked on funeral detail for the last little bit of time that I was in the military. And funny enough, that I was at Sarasota National Cemetery, which is down the road from all of this. And uh, you know, working at KIA, um, going to pick them up at the airport and stuff, man. It's so emotionally draining, and it's it's so crazy. Um, you know, when you showed the picture of the memorial, the drive-in, um, I think it's important to note, and I think other departments should take note of this that when you have a motorcade with the old Harley Davidson police bikes, you know, that was the time to put them up front. They were loud. Um, they brought a feeling of, you know, just Americana, um, presence. pride, uh, there's a presence. Um, the departments that have gone to the BMWs and the bikes that are V twin and sound like shit, um, put those fucking bikes at the back. Uh, it's laughable. They look like scooters. It's not cool. They're not Harleys. And the only reason that they put the Harleys up front was because of the presence that they brought and the thunderous roar and, and it looks badass. But when you put these little scooter bikes up front, like they're not fucking cool. And you motorcycle comps that ride them like, if, if your department doesn't have like real motorcycles, then why are you on the motor unit? Like it's so you look retarded, put the fucking horses, the horse cops are way cooler, put them up front. And now in today's in memorials, the bike thing was only cool because of the thunder. Um, yeah. and that's all I have to say about that. Yep. I mean, low, it, it was slow and low. It's like a B 52 coming in, you know, or, or a C, um, a C five, just like, it's presence. Like, it's just like, that's an intimidating beast. Um, you know, perhaps the BMWs can just block the intersections. Right. Yeah. Like um, just use the BMWs for what they're for, which is blocking intersections and, you know, you know, put one at the front, maybe one at the back, but it's embarrassing, man. I, I saw one and, you know, you know, when, when you have those real memorials, um, when a soldier dies, they have the veterans bicycle, I mean, uh, motorcycle clubs, that uh, bring in the caskets yeah, yeah or yeah. like escort like the Patriot defenders from or right right dude it's fucking badass when they're like you know just like just that throttly throaty fucking oh man it makes me just want to start chanting usa usa like um there's just something american about it it's like a ghost bed it's just american baby Mm. And, but when these like little jab bikes are like me 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 you're like dude go get out of here i would love to chant usa with you i hopefully there's an ad read that we can do uh i would also say though like when that ghostbed wants to do an ad read on today's episode ghost ghostbed knows the reverence behind an episode like this they know that it was more important for me to give their rant about throttling motorcycles than to talk about a real american thing like ghost bed um yeah that's the great thing about having ghost bed as a sponsor is that they're so pro American law enforcement so pro veteran that they don't care i i was you know like i, I was going to use the example that like it, it, the people that stand on the side of the road with the american flags or their hands on their hearts or whatever that that gets me every time like i get a lump in my throat and they're feeling the presence of that that harley that you're talking yeah. about i, I would yeah. just submit that um if you're unable to attend and you're laying in your ghost bed, the vibration would be killed by the ghost bed itself. So this yeah. is uh, what people are probably saying that I was driving, uh, which is the, which is the Cougar. 
Uh, you know, yours had the small, skinny tires with the hydraulics that sank in the back. I and your felony force of Christmas that, trees. <laughs> I think they're just a little off on what I was driving, but that, that was it. It was light blue, just like that. It didn't have fancy rims on it. I mean, uh, come so on. Listen, I'm not uh, a Rockefeller here. Uh, I got but, chased he, as a teenager by a Mercury Cougar. It looked exactly like that, but it was uh, maroon in color. And uh, we'd flick the guy off for some reason, and he chased us like all through the swamps of Florida. It was really scary, but um, uh, before oh, I met my wife, question? I got chased by a cougar. Anywho, here is uh, Trooper Crooks's wife, Brad Crooks's, uh, mm. uh, or this could be his mom, actually. Uh, Vivian Crooks is her name, uh, mm. receiving the American it's, flag. From it's the, his mom. Yeah, it's his mom. Oh, uh, you know, God bless her. Uh, just, just think of raising this, this, this kid. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. you know, she's probably, think of the nights that she worried about him being out on the street and, um, you know, and then he, he goes, you know, this nothing short of heroic. I mean, dad looks even more distraught. Like dad looks like he's fucking completely uh, I mean, falling apart, man. I can't even imagine man, losing one of my kids like that. It's just, I mean, you know, but what a strong woman. Um, the fact that she wore power red underneath that black suit says a lot about her character. Um, honestly, yeah. Like, um, she could have worn all black. She could have been defeated. She could have had the veil on her face, but I don't know this woman. I don't know the story behind it, but when you wear a power shirt like that under your suit and you've got a stoic look like she has, which is almost has like a smirk. Um, she looks like one tough bitch and, uh, yeah, kudos she's just taken. And, yeah. And, um, Wow, what a powerful picture, man. What a powerful picture. Um, So I I think I've covered just about everything in this thing. I mean, there are like, there are no happy endings in in stories like this. I mean, there are uh, changes that are made that made, made, things a little bit safer for cops perhaps, or, you know, it made us all definitely more aware of um, making sure we check around the collar to make sure that people don't have a handcuff key and oh, we check uh, their belts know, things now, like that. Or, you know what I mean? Like we're checking their belts. We check the tongues of yeah. their shoes, you know, and, and, and as a new cop that doesn't understand stories like this, Raleigh lost a detective because he gave a homeless prostitute a ride. Um, in his car and she freaked out in the back seat, pulled out a derringer and shot him in the back of the head. Um, Ooh. and, and that's how he died. Uh, never saw that coming at all. And he, she wasn't even under arrest. He was simply transporting her. Um, I think, I, I don't remember where he was taking her to, but, um, uh, she had no handcuffs or anything. And, um, so now, you know, we have to search everybody that goes into our car. And so there are changes that, that, that are made because of situations. But if you're a younger officer, it's not going through the motions. Like, this is why you're doing that. This is why yes. you're checking their necklaces. This is why you're undoing the belt and, and checking the belt and running your hands along the seam of the belt. Because, you know, for me, um, as a SEER graduate, uh, we, all, I mean, for the longest time after I graduated SEER, I had a handcuff key um, sewn onto my belt, onto my web belt, um, and, and a paperclip as well onto the other side. So, and, and Tactical Tailors was a big help on doing all that. So that's why you do it. It's not just going through the motions. I mean, this, I mean, there are fucking people out there that think there are hand cars. Like there are yeah, the, cards everywhere. The, the, um, before... He's just he, he's not going to prison. Uh, I do I do want to show this. He tries to justify his actions, painting himself as a victim. For this. But his callousness shows. This is the flashbang. I got yeah. one of the handcuffs off. I reached up front. I'm all jazzed up to see it because uh, I want to see uh, away from the officer that was driving. Swap boy in his shorts and knee pads again. I know I'll fry for the cops. I don't want to fry in the electric chair. I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to have to eat the food. I don't want to have to live with people. There is no remorse for the dead policeman. Only concern for himself. I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to go. The radio host tries to be the voice of reason. You know, I, the best advice I can give you would be to let that, that lady who has nothing to do with any of this out of that store. Amazingly, his words get through. Beer? She's running across Just the street. Before sundown, grabbing the a emotionally hold of shattered woman is released. Police rush to her aid. Surrounded by SWAT officers, she's escorted to safety. Think she named that child Hank Earl? I don't think so. Quickly, the tactical team puts on gas masks and prepares to go in. They're in position. The signal is given. 
one swallow. Did you see that? Short well, literally, I could feel the vibration of my chest. Two concussion grenades through the rear of the store. The blast oh is designed God. to gunman. Pause it. Oh yes. my God. Yeah, I've never that. seen a flashbang have a visual fireball. Well, <laughs> there was a fireball that came I, out of the fucking window. Okay, I, I think that they said flashbangs. Uh, they they used distraction devices. I I also think that they were using tear gas. So I don't know how they got around, or, or I don't know exactly what they used. I could tell you that. Bro, the, that was like a napalm fireball <laughs> that came out of the window. I've never seen back, any, like. I was taught bro. in the academy by a guy named Sergeant Jim Diamond, like way back when I was just like a young academy recruit. He, he taught us all the bomb stuff. He's the same guy that was that was there that day. Um, and there's no doubt in my mind that there's a little extra love. You know what I mean? Yeah, they were just like, the, oh, just, I got this motherfucker. Like, yeah, we're going to flashbang him with, you know, C4 ball bearings. I don't want to go to. Here, I'm going to uh, mute it, but uh, we'll take a look at it again while uh, it's still playing. But Whoa, dude, uh, that was an intense fireball. Uh, yeah, and, and he, like when the one when the the second round goes off, the second concussion grenade and it blows out that black glass. I'm gonna tell you, dude, I've thrown flashbangs into house uh, or been with SWAT when they've thrown flashbangs into houses, and I've seen all the windows being blown out. Never once have I seen it blow out. Like if you were stacked up on that house, that glass would hit you from like a hundred feet away. Like that's not a flashbang. I, I'm pretty sure that they kept everybody back. <laughs> I, dude, I'm pretty sure that, that they gnarly. knew what was going to happen. Yeah. That um, so, so I, I don't know if I ever finished the thought, but they, they say, uh, here it comes. Watch. Boom. He says that, um, the, the news reporter said I could feel the concussion in my chest. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, there are reports that Hank Earl Carr died by suicide. Like he killed himself before any of this happened. And then there are others that say that the, the concussion or, or that they blew, they basically blew him up, which I don't yeah. know how you're going to prove that, but, um, but they blew at any rate, whoa, <laughs> gosh, there's a fireball man. again. Yep. Oh my um, gosh. so that, that is, uh, that, uh, that's that story. Um, and I'm trying him. to think if there's any epilogue to it. I mean, um, before uh, we she out, served her, she, um, yeah, she served her time in prison and, and she moved good. to Ohio. I don't know where she is at this point. Where, where all the trash goes, Ohio. I'm just kidding. One more and I'm out of your podcast. Just kidding. Um, before we roll out of here, though, um, a couple people requested in the chats. Um, Drew, if you'll bring me in, bring me out real quick with a, a quick USA chant. Uh, go ahead and start that now. And I'll, USA. 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 Look, red, white, and blue. I bleed red, white, and blue. <laughs>